I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The FT. The savings account market isn't working, but what could regulators do about it? China versus India. Which of Asia's superpowers should you invest in? And as Britain's biggest private landlords prepare to sell up, will buy-to-let investors ever have it so good again? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form, with the help of my FT colleague, Emma Dunkley. Hello. Plus studio guest, Brian Dennehy of fundexpert.co.uk. Hello. And joining us on the phone will be Sylvia Waycott of Money Facts. Hello. Earlier this week, Britain's ever-busy financial regulator published the initial findings of a probe into the cash savings market. The watchdog is concerned that competition isn't working in the interests of most consumers, and its research suggests that it's right to be concerned. It found that a small minority of savers managed to get good rates by constantly comparing accounts and moving their money whenever necessary. But these so-called rate tarts are not the norm. Most of us put our money in one account, often on the basis of an introductory rate of interest, and then leave it there. Once the introductory bonus period ends, we tend to forget all about it and the interest rate reverts to a much lower level. Many people don't even bother shopping around when they open a savings account. The FCA found that people were more likely than not to open an account with their current account provider, irrespective of whether the savings rate offered was competitive or not. The issue is a serious one because cash, rather than investments, is where most people keep their savings. Around three quarters of new ISA subscriptions, for instance, go into cash. Joining me on the line from Norwich is Sylvia Waycott of moneyfacts.co.uk. Sylvia, can you give me some examples of, of this sort of low high pricing where there's an introductory bonus rate that looks very generous and then it drops off after six months or a year to something basically sub-economic? Yes, um, this is quite easy because unfortunately it's quite commonplace. Uh, For instance, if you'd invested in a top easy access account a year ago, you would have received interest at 2%. And the chances are that's all you'll remember. But as from tomorrow, if you'd invested it a year ago, the rate would have dropped to 0.5% because the bonus rate has ended and you get what's called the go-to rate, which is the true rate. And it's the rate that you would stay on for the rest of the time you're in the account. Now, this will have been explained when you open the account, but unfortunately, too many people forget and banks and building societies tend to use this to their advantage. 
Do you find that there are any that consistently offer good rates both before and after an, an introductory period, or do the best buys shift around all the time? Well, before funding for lending, there was definitely providers out there that marketed themselves to be always in the middle of the best buy chart, so they wanted to be consistently good. But Things have changed and it's very hard now to actually discover who is consistently good because nobody really wants your money. They don't need it to prop up lending in the way that they did before funding for lending. Can you explain a bit more about funding for lending? Yes, it was a, an initiative by the government to kickstart the mortgage market, which it needed. But what happened was they said that they would lend money to the banks and building societies that agreed to be a part of the scheme at a very low rate, which meant that they, they didn't need to raise the money to lend out in the traditional way, which would have been through savings accounts. I see. So now the situation is much more fluid. It means we have to be a lot more proactive. But many people will say, well, you know, I've got better things to do than be sort of checking on on, on what the interest rate is all the time. Is there any way, anything we can do to make it easier not to get caught out by these rather cynical promotions? While I I sympathise with the fact that, you know, life's too short to be constantly looking at what your account is paying, unfortunately, it is one of those things you're you're only going to get out what you put in and to keep your eye on the ball is an absolute must with savings. So you do need to keep looking. You could pay somebody to do it for you, but on a savings account, the interest rates that are paid at the moment are so small that you don't really want to be sharing it. You want to keep as much as you can. Okay, and finally, the Financial Conduct Authority said it it would conduct more investigations and decide later this year whether to intervene, as it put it, in the savings market. If it did intervene, what could it do? What change would you like to see in the way the savings market operates? Well, they actually do regulate this market, so in many ways they own it, so they can do whatever they like. They can go all the way. What I would like to see is I would like to see uh, the accounts that hide their true colours cleaned up. So, for instance, if uh, somebody had a no-notice account, they would assume that means that they can get the money whenever they want to. But some no-notice accounts actually limit the number of withdrawals you can make in a year. So some might say you can make four withdrawals or one withdrawal a month and if you actually go outside of that then what happens is they hit your interest they'll either not pay you any more interest for that year or uh, they'll not pay you any for that month now the banks would argue that it's still no notice they're giving you your money when you ask for it but it's not really the spirit of it is it definitely not and uh, could the fca insist that banks pay a minimum level of interest on savings accounts for instance they have to match the bank of england's base rate i think that would be quite difficult for them to do but what they could do is they could insist that there is more communication between the bank and the saver as to what is happening on their accounts at the moment they do send letters but it's very different in the way they approach that some providers might send you a letter a month before the account changes some might uh, send it a week before some might assume that they've already spoken to you so that it's not sent so communication could definitely be cleared up okay thank you very much that was sylvia waycott of moneyfacts.co.uk still to come on the show as britain's leading amateur landlords sell up is this the peak for buy to let first though let's look at china and india these two asian giants have been in the news a lot lately China because of its slowing economy and growing debt problems, and India because of its new Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, who received a visit from the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer this week. 
Go back to the early 1980s, and the average Indian was richer than the average Chinese. But 30 years of economic liberalisation in China have seen the country transformed, and now China's per capita GDP is way ahead of India's. But could the tables now be turned? China's breakneck economic growth appears to be slowing. Its citizens are getting restive, and 30 years of one-child policies mean that it has a looming demographic problem. Meanwhile, there are high hopes that India's new prime minister, who has a clear majority in the Indian Parliament and a track record of liberalisation and reform, will push through sweeping changes, boost investment, and cut red tape and corruption. So, does India now have the upper hand? And even if it does, does that mean you should put your money into an Indian fund? Joining me now is Brian Dennehy of FundExpert.co.uk. Brian, let's talk about China first. Economic growth has indeed slowed down a bit recently, and there are lots of worries about pollution and corruption and debt and so on. But China's stock market is very cheap, isn't it? And surely that makes it a good investment. Yeah,、uh, China is having to reinvent itself, and that will take a number of years of slower growth. The stock market itself is at about a forty percent discount to the rest of the world's stock markets, which certainly makes it look. Very attractive, but it's not as bad as the stock market headlines would make you think in Shanghai either, because it's actually been a poor place to invest this year, on the face of it, looking at the main indices. But having said that, the smaller company indices and funds focused on smaller companies have actually been doing really well over the last year to eighteen months. And in terms of India,、um, we've had reformist prime ministers in India before. We've had promises of reform, and it's always seemed to be sort of a, a one step forward and then two steps back. What makes you think it will be different this time? I think it's simply, as, as you suggested, it's the scale of the reform mandates that the new prime minister was given. For example, people in India didn't vote. On caste anymore, they voted on reform, and that's the big, big change. That was the catalyst we've all been waiting for, because we knew that the very young population was key to the long-term potential, but we needed that reform mandate in that scale to really open up that potential and make it more self-evident.、Mm-hmm. But isn't China's government on a on a reform agenda as well? I mean, obviously they're not elected in the same sense as the Indian government, but they have they have a reform program. They they do have a reform program, but they're having to reinvent themselves in in doing that. They've built up China to this point based on huge investments and、uh, export. They now need to make the domestic economy much, much more vibrant, and that's arguably why the smaller companies in China have actually been doing very well in the last twelve, eighteen months. People are buying them, anticipating these changes and better times ahead. Well, let's talk about companies for a minute. Since、um, when you're an investor, that is effectively what you're buying. They're very different. Indian companies are very different from Chinese companies. Is that a fair comment? Well, in India, we have about fifty-seven、uh, percent of India's GDP is derived from the service sector. I think, as most people know that, but India's also got some some very big global big hitters.、Uh, on the other hand, in China, a lot of the very big companies are the government is is a large shareholder in a lot of those businesses, which doesn't apply. In India, and we also have structural issues in China with different indices, some of which are available to overseas investors and some aren't. So there's there's a need for reform in in China there. Now, if you're investing in a, in a country because you think there's going to be economic reform and that reform is going to boost the economy and therefore corporate profits, couldn't you just say, "Well, I tell you what, I'll buy an index tracking fund. A rising tide of, ref- of economic reform will float all boats, and that's the sort of quickest and cheapest and easiest way to play it." 
On the face of it, yes, there, there are two problems. One is the um, lack of index tracking or ETFs available for China, but also the fact that in such inefficient markets, unlike, say, the US, where most information about most things is already known and in the public domain, in these inefficient markets like China and India, it's a place where the active fund managers can can outperform by a very wide margin. For example, just in the last 18 months, Fidelity China special situations is up 24% versus the index down 14%. And in India, we've had a similar pattern over the last year where the indices uh, are up about 10%, but funds like Neptune India and Jupiter India are up around 16 and 17%. So active fund managers really do score and add value in these sorts of markets. Okay, so if you want uh, active management, um, which funds should you go for? You've mentioned a couple there. Well, certainly in India, there are very few choices, in fact, and um, Jupiter India is the longest running and largest of those available to UK investors that are open at the moment, and Neptune India is another one that you should be considering. And over into China, that Fidelity um, China Special Situations Fund, the fund that was famously previously run by Anthony Bolton, has a very strong small and mid-cap bias and that's what's driven it over the last uh, 12 18 months and finally brian we should mention that uh, all investing in, in equities is risky and in emerging market equities particularly risky should people be investing in individual countries at all or is it better to get exposure by buying a sort of more generalist fund that invests in lots of different emerging markets china is a massively bigger marketplace than the uk and india is coming up fast on its heels so i certainly wouldn't discourage investing into those single country funds the main thing to remember is that it's because they're emerging markets that they're going to have a lot more volatility. Thank you very much. That was Brian Dennehy at fundexpert.co.uk. We take a detailed look at China and India in our cover feature this week, which includes contributions from FT staff in both Shanghai and Mumbai. Which market should you buy into? Well, to find out, pick up FT Money this weekend. It's part of the weekend FT, which is on sale on both Saturday and Sunday. And you can read online at any time. Just go to ft.com forward slash money. Weekend FT is also available on mobile devices via a free web app in both Apple and Android versions. We're always keen to hear your views too. You can leave comments on articles on our website or you can email us directly. The address for that is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. Over the past 20 years, Fergus Wilson and his wife Judith, both former maths teachers, have assembled an empire of hundreds of buy-to-let properties in and around Ashford in Kent. Starting in the 1990s, they took advantage of rising house prices and easy mortgage credit to continuously draw equity from existing properties in order to fund more purchases. They've attracted plenty of media attention over the years. Earlier this year, they said they were evicting some tenants due to rent arrears, while Mr Wilson has previously opined that Eastern Europeans in work make the best tenants. But now the UK's most famous amateur landlords have decided to call it a day. At the age of 66, Mr Wilson says he wants to retire and has put the whole lot up for sale as a package. He also says that house prices just cannot carry on going up forever. So, does this mark the high watermark of house prices and of buy-to-let? Joining me now is Emma Dunkley. Emma, you spoke to the Wilsons um, several times. They actually wanted to sell up several years ago, didn't they? Why weren't they able to do that then? Uh, Indeed, they were looking to sell their portfolio, which had about a 1,000 properties in, in 2008. 
But to give a bit more of a backstory, it all kind of kicked off by accident for the Wilsons. They had a family home in the 70s that they were looking to sell and bought another house. So they ended up with two properties, which they thought they could pass on to their two daughters. And in the end, they decided to rent it out. And it was following that and going to a few property auctions and buying a few more properties that they started to build up their empire. And this really was given a boost in the mid-90s when buy-to-let mortgages came into being. Um, Mr Wilson said it was very easy back then to get a mortgage. It was very much a case of signing on the dotted line and you could get a high loan-to-value mortgage, interest only. And that was really what enabled him to build up quite rapidly his property empire to a 1,000 properties. Then what he would do is every few years remortgage once property prices had increased and use that capital gain to put towards another property. So by 2008, he was happily sitting on his empire of a thousand properties and wanted to retire with his wife and sell up the portfolio. However, this was exactly at the time that the financial crisis set in and property prices crashed. As a result, there were few sellers on the market and he really ran into trouble. He found that he was paying about £350,000 a month in mortgage repayments and to add to their woes, they had a few tenant troubles. They had factored in a 10% rate of uh, tenants paying late. However, this actually rose to 40% of tenants unable to pay. So the Wilsons were forced to stay in the market Okay, now you mentioned there that uh, mortgage credit was very easy to come by in the early 90s. Now, of course, recently mortgage lending has been tightened up uh, quite a lot. Is this related to that in any way? Well, the Mortgage Market Review, which came in in April this year, actually applies to residential mortgages. And the stricter criteria in terms of affordability means that it will be tougher for people to get hold of a mortgage. As a result, this could mean that more people are inclined to rent for longer At the same time, you've got this increase in property prices in London, which is making it very tough for people to get on the housing ladder, especially within central London. So more people are being forced out of the capital into so-called satellite towns such as Ashford and Maidstone, where the Wilsons do in fact have the majority of their portfolio. So in this regard, Mr Wilson has benefited from rising prices and he's also been able to put up rents quite substantially. So they were on average £750 about 15 months ago and now stands at about £1,000. So would this whole portfolio of properties uh, with, with tenants in place make an attractive investment for somebody who is going to buy several hundred houses in Ashford? Given the improved transport links to the area and the fact that more foreign buyers are coming into London, pushing prices up over time, these satellite towns are increasingly attractive because they're easy commuting distance to London, not far out, and prices are already rising in these areas. Um, And so Mr Wilson noted that his intermediary looking to sell the whole portfolio in bulk has seen interest from professional football players, overseas buyers and institutions such as British pension funds. And so with the sale of this whole portfolio, Mr Wilson noted that it's very likely tenants will stay in place because this makes the sale easier um, and it's great for the buyer to know that they have tenants who have been there for 10 years to, to stay in place and continue paying rent. And finally, many have speculated or, or read into this decision that this is all about the housing market cycle and that uh, that Mr Wilson, who obviously knows an awful lot about property investment, is timing his exit to perfection here just as the market hits an all-time high. Have house prices peaked, do we think? Is, is he is he making that call or is this all about him wanting to retire? 
He's not making that call. Some people do believe he's being a shrewd investor. But having spoken to him, it sounds like he was trapped in the market at 2008. And finally, given the significant capital appreciation over the past five years, he is now able to finally retire. So in fact, it's less a case of looking at Mr. Wilson's sale as calling the top of the market and more a case of, well, house prices have done well. He's able to capture some capital gains and get out at a good time. And he even concedes that he thinks there is some way to go in terms of house prices. Thanks very much, Emma. With more on the Wilson's buy-to-let empire, including an analysis of why it would be very difficult to assemble such a collection of properties today in this weekend's FT Money. We also look at the latest developments in the growing row about how to deal with tax avoidance. We look at how the government's pension guidance guarantee is shaping up. And we look at why, surprisingly, Providing financial education doesn't seem to improve financial outcomes in later life, according to a new study by the OECD. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me, Emma, and our special guests Brian Dennehy and Sylvia Waycott. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.